Welcome. You're listening to another episode of AML Conversations, where we sit down with some of the brightest minds in the financial industry to explore topical matters around financial crime and compliance. We hope you enjoy this discussion and please be sure to subscribe for more. Katharina, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Katharina is with the Basel Institute on Governance. Uh, several weeks ago, you folks released the Basel AML Index of 2022, and I wanted uh, to ask you about that and get into some specifics. But could you first describe uh, the Basel Institute on Governance, uh, what's its mission, how it's organized? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, thanks uh, for inviting me today and for this opportunity to present the results of the index and index as such. Uh, the Basel Institute on Governance is a Swiss foundation. Uh, it is an associated institute of the Basel University. It was set up in, 2000, in 2003 uh, with the uh, central office here in Basel. But we have uh, representative offices or teams working in different regions in Africa, Eastern Europe, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. Uh, we have different teams, uh, different departments within the Institute, but our common goal is to count corruption and to fight financial crime. We do it from different angles, from the angle of uh, the Basel AML Index, given the perspective of, on the risks of money laundering terrorist financing across the globe. We do it from the angle of the research of behavioral aspects of corruption in Africa through the environmental crime aspect of uh, uh, the corruption and other aspects. So we all have the same aim and we are working on this. Uh, we are uh, 100 plus people engaged in the at the uh, Institute. That's good. That's great. Um, this index, according to your site, and we'll link to the index when we uh, publish the conversation, is the 11th public index. And a couple of things that I, that interested me besides the obvious, that's really good data here, really good information, uh, that the risk scores, uh, you say, cover five domains, the quality of the framework, bribery and corruption, as you've alluded to, financial transparency and standards, obviously a big issue, certainly in the U.S. and other places with beneficial ownership, public transparency and accountability, and legal and political risks. Can you talk a little bit about each of those, I mean, some of those are sort of uh, understandable on the definitions, but a little bit about how the Basel Index looks at those items. Uh, because, you know, we go back to the early days of the FATF, and I, I certainly remember when there were mutual evaluations, it was based almost entirely on uh, laws and regulations, not about effectiveness, not about some of the other measurements. So you could look at a country and say, well, this country has laws on asset forfeiture, has laws on terrorist financing, whatever. But that really doesn't tell you, um, are, are they effective? Are they being utilized correctly? What's the enforcement? So these um, five domains seem very not broad in a bad sense, very broad, but because they cover so much. Can you talk a little bit about the domains? Yeah, sure. Uh, so first of all, I will start with the fact that the index is based on a composite methodology. So we are not uh, creating data by ourselves. We are collecting data from reputable uh, 
data indicators from reputable resources and in total we have this year 18 indicators and these 18 indicators we grouped in we group into five domains that you mentioned uh, before going into domains uh, the most important is to understand that we are not trying to measure uh, the actual amount of MLTF activities in any given jurisdictions. We are measuring the risk. And here uh, we define the risk as a vulnerability of the jurisdiction to MLTF and its capacities to counter it. So we are looking from two sides on the understanding of risk. So for us, when we identify what is the high risk, we are saying that it's the jurisdiction which has shortfalls in the AML-CFT framework, which has high corruption and bribery, low, uh, poor financial transparency and public transparency, and weak political rights and rule of law. We do the weighting of these indicators. So domains, uh, they do not have the same impact on the overall score. Uh, the most important for us is the first domain, the quality of AML-CFT framework. Uh, it has 65% of impact on the overall score. Uh, we use this domain to cover the question how the uh, legal infrastructure, AML infrastructure is set up in the country, what are the issues with effectiveness? Uh, does the country has issues related to narcotic trafficking and money laundering through narcotic trafficking, human trafficking, environmental crime, and also uh, data related to secrecy, so-called secrecy of the jurisdiction. So here we have four different criteria to cover this domain. And the most important, as you already mentioned, is the FATF criteria. Here with the FATF, it has 35% of impact on the overall score. Uh, for the public edition that we recently published, we use only the data for countries that were assessed with the same latest methodology. That means that for the public edition, we cover only countries where we have data on both technical compliance and effectiveness. So 40 technical compliance criteria and 11 uh, criteria of effectiveness as they are identified by FATF. So in this case, we have the same common methodological background to uh, compare the countries. Uh, this is one of the explanations why in this year edition, we cover 128 uh, jurisdictions, uh, which is more, which is an increased coverage in comparison to the previous edition. This is all explained that we got more assessment from FATF according to the latest methodology, so we get better uh, background for comparison. Uh, beside FATF, we also use uh, data from Financial Secrecy Index. Uh, it has 15% of impact. The data helps us not only to look at the uh, issues related to secrecy of the jurisdiction, but also to the impact of this jurisdiction on the global financial market. Uh, this data uh, has 15% of impact. 
And additionally, we use the data uh, from U.S. State Department reports on major money laundering jurisdictions in relation to narcotic trafficking. It's 5%, 5% for human uh, trafficking, also from U.S. State Department report, and 5% this year we added to environmental crime. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but something struck me, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but when jurisdictions see the rankings, do you get what we would call pushback? In other words, do, do jurisdictions reach out to Basel and say, hey, wait a second, why are we ranked this way or that way? Or just, I know you guys have been around for quite a long period of time, so that maybe doesn't occur, but just from the politics of it, because with FATF, I do think in some cases, some jurisdictions will respond that they thought that whatever the evaluation was, that perhaps it was inaccurate or there was, you know, uh, they didn't give them enough credit for certain things. Does that happen with this index or you release it and that's it? I guess as with any other index and uh, which provides uh, uh, ground for comparison, especially for comparison with your neighbors, uh, you often uh, get into uh, these questions. Uh, so yes, we uh, have these questions raised by jurisdictions why we have this or other score. Uh, from the um, public edition, uh, you see only the overall score, but with the expert edition, you have all underlining 18 indicators. Right. Uh, there is uh, uh, zero uh, impact of uh, personal evaluation. It's just uh, uh, working with data, scaling it, and so you can obviously see the reasons why you have this score. Uh, yes. Then it's more a question not to the Basel AML index, but if you are not happy with your results FATF, uh, of FATF assessment or yes. other indicators, then it's more the question to, to the assessor. Uh, from our side, we uh, provide uh, full impartiality to, to the data, and it is uh, quite easy to see the reasons why you have this or other score. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, the jurisdiction like to see themselves, first of all, in comparison to their region and in comparison to their neighbors. I think this is the most uh, um, um, interesting uh, topic and for sure they want to see how they do the progress and uh, we provide a full explanation around the data, what is behind, what is driven your score and where you can uh, improve in which areas. But obviously uh, we will fix this improvement only after we get the updated data on the main indicators. Well, that makes sense. Uh, that makes perfect sense. You go back to the assessors because you folks are simply compiling all the data together. So, uh, and I, I interrupted you. Any more you want to say about some of the domains? Uh, yeah, uh, just to finish on that, uh, we also, uh, that was the most important first domain. Other domains, they have uh, less weight on the overall score, but they are still very important. Uh, we cover both corruption and bribery. Uh, the domain has 10% of impact. Uh, very important domains of, uh, of financial transparency and public transparency. And I would uh, uh, give more attention to the last domain about uh, 
political and legal risks. There we look at the quality of institutions as well, uh, the strengths of institution, how the uh, judiciary system is working in the country. Is it independent? Because sometimes we have the results from FATF assessment showing that countries with centralized uh, powers, they are doing very well in, for example, in supervision or in statistics. And then we check whether it corresponds to the independence of the judiciary in the country. Right. Uh, so it is important to have this domain to cover these issues. And also whether the media has a right to speak up about the money laundering scandals, to raise awareness about the issues. So I guess even though it is the last fifth domain, it, it is very important to mention it. Sure, sure. Now, and the executive summary, the overall ra uh, uh, rankings or risking is uh, 5.25 out of 10, where you folks say 10 is the maximum risk. Say so They say there's a tiny decrease in the risks related to the quality of the framework, but it's been offset by increased risks in other four areas, and, and you've obviously alluded to that. So um, sort of a middle of the road ranking, if you will, but then you also have a strong statement where you say, when it comes to tackling dirty money, most countries are taking one step forward and four steps back and remaining too many steps behind criminals. So uh, obviously, you know, Basel looks at all the data, looks at all the metrics and your decision or, or your conclusion is still a lot needs to be done. Right. And so uh, let me ask you, uh, maybe talk a little bit about some of the more recent jurisdictions you've looked at. I know the way this works, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, we got a number of countries that are part of this and you rank the countries, but some of the ratings are not as recent as others. So I know you've looked at some in Eastern Europe and I think the Sub-Saharan region. Can you talk a little bit about some of the uh, rankings or just the issues in those countries? Sure. Uh, so uh, we are dealing uh, with data and uh, you know that data is not perfect and can't be perfect. Uh, in case of FATF, uh, uh, the latest uh, uh, period of evaluation started in 2017. The countries have follow-up report, uh, but uh, obviously not yet all the countries assessed with the latest methodology of FATF. Uh, so this year, as I've already mentioned, we increased the country coverage and uh, it was mostly uh, in two regions, first in EU Western Europe and in Sub-Saharan Africa. We don't know the reasons behind the FATF and regional bodies assessment, why we got the data on these countries, so it's not our political decision to add them. They were added just because we got the new data from FATF and we right. have enough uh, uh, data um, coverage for, for other indicators for these countries. So if we look at uh, EU, uh, we got additional uh, six jurisdictions uh, and I will name them is Bulgaria, Croatia, France, Germany, Netherlands and Poland and they were uh, assessed with the uh, FATF methodology. So we have data on both technical compliance and effectiveness. And we uh, put this country in already existing EU region and we see that the trend is uh, 
rather similar that the EU countries, uh, they have a huge variation in their schools. And we see the same with the new added uh, jurisdictions. So we see, especially if we talk about effectiveness, we see a huge, huge variation, for example, between Bulgaria with the effectiveness uh, below 20% and uh, France uh, effectiveness at the level of 70%. So it's, it's quite a huge difference. Uh, in total, we see that the average per uh, EU ineffectiveness is 43%. So below this, uh, out of newly assessed countries, we have Bulgaria, Croatia and Poland. And above this, we have Netherlands, France and um, Germany. Uh, we also looked at a more specific and detailed question in which areas all these EU countries, including the newly added to, to our coverage, have the most uh, critical issues. And for EU is the quality of supervision. Uh, it's a uh, uh, criteria of FATF assessed uh, within the criteria of effectiveness. The second critical issue for EU is the quality of the transparency, sorry, of beneficial ownership and preventive measures. So we see these three most important issues that have to be uh, speak up, that countries have to deal with, and we additionally see the huge variation in terms of effectiveness between low effective and high effective countries in the EU. Uh, so I guess this is quite interesting um, conclusions that we came to. Uh, to. If we look at technical compliance, it's about more about legal framework, architecture in the country. So we also see this uh, variation in performance, but it's less, uh, uh, less drastic in comparison to uh, effectiveness. We also, uh, you uh, mentioned quite correctly that we also add uh, aid jurisdiction to Sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, here we uh, again uh, brought uh, to the light this idea between the gap that we have in, in between effectiveness and technical compliance. For uh, three countries, uh, we have uh, like Benin, Eswatini, Guinea-Bissau. Uh, yeah, it's three. Sorry, I checked. Uh, we have effectiveness at zero level. So in any of 11 uh, outcomes, the country doesn't reach any uh, um, substantive uh, progress. The effectiveness is at the level of uh, zero. Uh, while technical compliance, for example, for Benin is at the level of 53%, for Cameroon at the level of 46%, for Eswatini at the level of 42%. So we see that, as in many other jurisdictions, uh, we again repeat in this message that it's much easier to set up the legal infrastructure, to set up your uh, institutions, but it's much more difficult to implement the uh, global AML CFT standards uh, in your country and to make them effective. So this is the, 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 the picture that we see.
and it's quite striking. It's not only about the sub-Saharan Africa, uh, the average global for effectiveness uh, we have at the level of 29% and the average global for technical compliance we have at the level of 63%. So it's a, it's quite a huge gap. Right, right. Be observed. Yeah, the, um, some of the things that strike me uh, from doing this as long as I have is one of the big drivers of the movement of illicit funds is bribery and corruption, obviously. And that's a, that's a domain metric for you folks as well. But it also strikes me that bribery and corruption, to try to address that, um, certainly transparency works, certainly law, effectiveness laws, not just technical compliance, but the private sector has to be partners here, right? I mean, you say this throughout your index, and I think in your conclusion as well, the importance of the private sector being as engaged as the government in making improvements, whether it's to deal with the risk-based approach or to deal with spotlighting corruption, whether that's from journalists or whether that's from policymakers. Talk a bit about the Basel's, Basel's view on the private sector, because they seem to be, I would argue, they have to be partners here for these jurisdictions to improve wherever they sit, right? So globally, as well as individual countries, if you have private sector support and work and engagement, then obviously that can help improve your effectiveness beyond technical compliance. What's Basel's general view on that? I assume your your whole organization, the whole focus on governance is we need to engage the private sector. So talk a bit about how important the uh, financial institutions and others in the private sector are to improving where we are today. Uh, thank you for this question. Uh, it's uh, it's not uh, that related to this year publication, but last year we uh, looked uh, with the uh, with the index at the FATF data on performance of uh, financial institutions separately and DNFPP. Uh, sector separately, how they are doing in uh, the requirements on due diligence, uh, how they are doing in other requirements from FATF. And we found out and also on, on how the uh, supervisors uh, deal with these two sectors. Uh, we don't have separate data for financial institutions and DNFBP if we are speaking about effectiveness because FATF assessed them as one, right. Uh, right. as one actor. Uh, but with technical compliance, we do have the data. And we found out that uh, uh, DNFBP sector has uh, uh, lower compliance uh, with the FATF standards, global AML CFT standards, in comparison to financial sector. Uh, that was our one of our uh, last year uh, conclusions that we have to speak more about the compliance of DNFPP, including lawyers, including real estate agents, and right. many others. Uh, so it's not only about the banks, and uh, it, it's all it's also about them and about their responsibility. So that was a part uh, of discussion last year. This year, we try to look uh, at data to see whether we have any progress, you know, so it's not to be so 
pessimistic about the data, we tried to look for something positive. And we looked at the data of follow-up reports. So what is the follow-up report? Is that uh, first FATF or regional uh, bodies of FATF assess the country with mutual evaluation. And then the countries may show their progress through the instruments of follow-up reports. They cannot improve their scores in effectiveness, but they can improve their scores in technical compliance. So we looked at the data from December 2017 uh, till August 2022 to see in which areas all countries show the progress by analyzing the follow-up reports. Mm -hmm. And we found out that the progress, and this is very important, uh, we saw it in first in assessing the risk in recommendation one, in assessing the risk and applying the risk-based approach. And here it comes to both actors, public actor and private actor. We also saw the progress in uh, the identifying and dealing with politically exposed persons. This is mostly the area where the private sector is uh, uh, fulfilling their obligation, and we see the progress in this area. We also see the progress with identifying and dealing with high-risk jurisdictions and wire transfers. It's everywhere where the private sector is involved. So we see the progress there for sure. We might hope for more and for better, but even though in, in if even if we are talking only about technical compliance, it's important to mention that we see some progress, but probably we need even more. Right. Uh, if we talk about general work of the Institute, uh, we have a Department of Collective Action and uh, they work with a private organization to help them to uh, tackle corruption through the instrument of uh, collective actions. I think in, in, in the uh, field of AML, the topics of information sharing between private private actors, private public actors is very important now. And I think that the progress we will hear more about that, and I hope to see more progress there. Right. Um, let me end on this. Uh, the index, uh, there's portions, as you mentioned, the portions of the index are free, but there's also an, the expert edition or enhanced coverage where you can get, as you were pointing out earlier, some of the specific reasons why the rankings were what they are. Let me just ask you, in terms of this as a resource, um, it seems obvious to me, but I, I'm curious at your response. How uh, can an AML officer, wherever he or she sits, whatever country she's in, he's in a uh, big, small, mid-sized institution, or as you point out, uh, other aspects of financial footprints, whether it be real estate or uh, the, legal, uh, the legal community, how can they uh, get value out of this index? How can they use it from both a practical standpoint, so sort of strategic, and then maybe in terms of outreach to explain to their uh, leadership, you know, where there are gaps, where there are issues that need to be improved. So how can somebody improve their institution or their community by taking advantage of all the information in the index? Uh, first, to start with some details on the expert edition, we have expert edition and expert edition plus. 
Uh, both of them, uh, they have uh, quarterly updates. So unlike with the public edition and annual updates, there we have updates in uh, uh, March, June, September and December. Uh, so four times per year. Uh, we do provide data for all 18 underlining indicators. Uh, so you don't see only the overall score as with the public edition. You have all underlining indicators. Beside that, uh, we do provide information on different sanction regimes like uh, EU list of non-cooperative tax jurisdiction, EU restrictive measures, OFAC, um, uh, UK uh, third uh, uh, high risk third countries and other like it's uh, six different uh, sanction regimes uh, even though they don't have an impact being under any of these sanction regime don't have an impact on the overall score we do that for informational purposes so it's uh, done up to the compliance officer and the general policy of the organization to decide uh, what is their strategy to deal with countries. Uh, so you can see uh, specifically on any indicator, you can score the country based, for example, you are interested in uh, which is the, uh, the, the uh, from the highest till the lowest, most corrupt country or the country with the worst FATF assessment with the highest risk in FATF assessment. So you can score the risks, you can see on all underlining indicators. Uh, sometimes in uh, our uh, dialogue with our client, we know that if it is a middle uh, size enterprise, uh, they use it as the methodology to assess the geographic risk generally, because this is the requirement for FAT for, from FATF to know which is the high risk, medium risk and low risk uh, jurisdiction. So you uh, can apply the risk based approach. So it might be your methodology, but for the uh, big uh, companies, uh, members of Wolfsburg Group, uh, they use it, they use our data as a as a kind of comparison right. or a kind of a test to their own methodology. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have the Expert Edition Plus, where we provide the full FATF data numerical table. So you can see uh, all 51 points per country in relation to FATF standards. And we also provide the analysis of this data, written analysis. This is in case you want to develop your own methodology based on specific FATF criteria. For example, you want to know which country has the best uh, standards in transparency of beneficial ownership, so you can score country according to this recommendation and many other things. So it's either you use it as your own methodology to assess uh, country risk or you use it as the test for your own uh, setup methodology or you use it as a way to build your methodology to do the modeling. So there are different uh, options how you can do it. In some cases, we were asked, uh, for example, from the big banks that uh, their assessment of certain countries was around five or six countries. Uh, they assessed that as a low risk countries and in our 
methodology and in our assessment they were medium risk countries oh, so uh, we are glad to provide the reasons behind you know right. so it's it's always good to have a cooperation dialogue and yeah to work together and it is all in line with the risk-based approach and uh, two uh, jurisdictions well, Katerina, I really appreciate your time, and the the index is fascinating. I've I've looked at earlier editions, but to hear you map out, you know how how you arrive at your um, at your metrics is really fascinating. I do think it's extremely valuable. I think people can benefit from both uh, the free access, but also the expert edition for those that are uh, certainly international, multi-state institutions that are trying to figure out risks in other countries. And I think even today. Most of us, whatever institution you may work for or represent, they have to care about international issues, even if they're in a small uh, size institution, because their their customers come from all over. So it's important to know jurisdictional risks, jurisdictional uh, jurisdictional uh, issues with compliance and enforcement. And I think this goes more than a long way toward giving giving you that. So. Thank you for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to uh, additional conversations. And uh, we're going to put this on our calendar. Every year that this comes out, we want to reach out to you folks and get an update. So thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me and for your interest. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of AML Conversations, brought to you by AML RightSource. To make sure you're staying up to date with what's going on in the industry, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to get the latest episode.